1: Just go to porkbun.com forward slash fm 24 That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash fm 24 You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort join us go to gigantic.is that's gigantic.is and save your seat for our january cohort your potential is gigantic and we're here to help you reach it go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today so this week we thought it might be good to take a quick
0: break from the product failure stories and dive into a silent type of failure that we often see in the startup world
1: You must be talking about exiting the exit, the big event where TechCrunch and BetaKit, they put up a splashy piece about how excited everyone is for this new chapter of the company. The headlines in the media go something like...
2: Probably more than we've discussed a $2 billion deal in a while. Joanna, why is this so interesting? (laughs) Um, Well, this is so interesting because it's Fitbit, which has been an independent company and gone at it on its own for a number of years now, and now Google's like... Yeah, it's time to gobble these guys up and I really think go after the Apple Watch. Facebook has bought the mobile messaging service WhatsApp,
3: for 19 billion dollars in cash and stock. Big money deals for dot-com companies can seem run-of-the-mill at this point in history, but Google is grabbing headlines once again today with its 1.65 billion dollar US buy-up of YouTube, which is of course that popular video-sharing website.
0: Exactly, but when you read headlines like these, it's hard not to think about the founders of these companies and they, in some cases literally overnight, became mega-millionaires. But having gone through an exit myself and talking to others who have i've learned that not all exits are actually successes
1: you mean everyone isn't popping champagne on their private yachts after each one of these articles
0: i mean they've reached the pinnacle of their startup's (laughs) journey and found their exit their company was acquired they won but did they no In, in a lot of cases the answer is no i mean i'm sure you've also heard a lot about the implosions the The once heralded heroes who now feel their fall from grace, the Yahoo's and AOL's of the world, both being acquired by Verizon for just a fraction of their peak valuation.
1: Or living social, right? That one time it was valued at like $6 billion, but was later rescued by Groupon, a company that's also seen better days. And the purchase price on that deal, according to the Washington Post, it was zero, nothing. That's less than the daily deals, both of these companies, Hawk. So, what does it look like behind the scenes when these successes are actually failures?
0: I actually already know
1: the answer to that.
0: I've led two different companies that were acquired. One of them being eFuneral, a company I co-founded. In the end, E-Funeral failed. I mean, we sold the company; it was acquired, but the founders the investors only saw a fraction of their investment come back to them and the other the other company i led saw a better outcome i mean the, the employees kept their jobs they worked for the acquiring company but it wasn't a smashing success by any means i mean investors had to wait for their stock options to liquidate into the new company which it could be years before they actually see a return if they see a return at all
1: yeah that's
0: too common so no i have never become a billionaire or even a millionaire let's face it um, certainly in either of those cases. But thankfully, I also didn't have my face plastered around in every major media outlet as the poster child of failure. <laughs> um, I, I do have plenty of friends that have had experience with these kind of exits, too. So today, we're going to discuss what happens when an exit is not really the kind of exit we all hear about. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. Rocket FM is
1: produced in partnership with Product Collective. We are your hosts. Michael Saka, and I'm Mike Belsito. When
0: I was working on this episode, it reminded me of a lunch that I had a few years back with Andy Sparks, who at the time was the co-founder of a company called LaunchGram. Now Andy runs a startup that's experiencing some growth called Holloway. But back then, Andy and I had gone through an accelerator in Columbus, Ohio called the 10 Accelerator. So what was LaunchGram? Well, I'll let Andy explain.
3: So LaunchGram was kind of this like ugly stepchild or predecessor to Product Hunt, I guess. It was a place where people could keep track of all kinds of updates and news on products that hadn't come out yet. Um, and it's funny, the one thing that we actually explicitly did not cover was startups because we didn't think that there would actually be a large enough audience for anyone to care about startups and how wrong we were. <laughs> but uh, you could go and tr- keep track of the next iPhone or the next video game, et cetera. The reason that we started the company was that actually a friend of mine had pointed out to me that he had played around with Facebook ads right after they came out. And the Facebook ads at the time were really new and not many people were using them, so they're pretty cheap. And he had just built like a quick landing page to the most recent Call of Duty game or the one that was coming out soon and and put a big pre-order button and ran a few ads on Facebook against the Call of Duty game. And saw if people would come and actually click on it and pre-order it, which I think you get like a seven dollar cut of that from Amazon affiliates. And enough people clicked on it to make it actually profitable for him. Um, and he was working on another business at the time. And I thought it was interesting enough. And I think I was like twenty one and you know literally three or four months out of college. And here was someone telling me that if I put a hundred dollars into ads, I could get more than a hundred dollars out the other side. And honestly, I was like, well, this is the perfect opportunity for me to to start a business and and it sounds like I could make some money pretty quick and then I could join the whole startup dream thing. Um, and, And so there was, it was quite, it was complicated in that it wasn't my idea, it was something that I got in I think for a lot of the wrong reasons because I wanted to just make some money. But at the same time it was a really good opportunity for me to just learn how to start a business.
1: So Launchgram was Andy's ticket to the startup dream. But even though LaunchGram
0: and my company, eFuneral, were two totally different types of businesses, Andy and I were both actually going through very similar experiences with our startups. We'd seen some traction, but we're finding that the businesses we were trying to create, well, that side of things wasn't really materializing the way that we thought it would. Our runway was both getting closer and closer to the end.
1: Oh, wow. So he was sharing all of this with you at lunch. Yeah. And Andy was
0: like super straightforward with me. He said that he wasn't even so sure that there would be more life for LaunchGram. I remember being surprised, um, but then really appreciative that he was able to open up to me so much. Um, I, at that time, wasn't necessarily ready to be so open. (laughs) No. Well, I mean, I told Andy that things were tough, but that I was confident we'd be able to raise another round of funding. And, you know, that's what I was in San Francisco for. That's where we were eating lunch. And and that was true. Um, that is what I was in town for. But the reality is I was starting to feel it in my heart that I wasn't so sure that we would be able to even raise that round of funding. Why not? Well, we didn't have the proof points in place, right? I mean, we had been around for a couple years and had pivoted back and forth. But I couldn't really point to something to say like this is the next right model and mm. I have data to back it up. So um anyway, we we ended up finishing lunch and went our separate ways and I concluded that Bay Area trip. And as you can imagine, I did not leave with any solid funding leads. Um but just a few days later, I was scrolling through TechCrunch and came across this headline right here. It says why C-backed Referly acquires Launchgram eyes ramen profitability.
1: Wait, what? I, I thought Andy was on the edge of going belly up. I thought he was eyeing potential failure for LaunchGram. Did some sort of miracle turnaround happen here in San Francisco? Well, years after
0: that lunch, I caught up with Andy and just a few years later asked him to explain this.
3: So a lot of the startup media coverage, whether you can infer there, so whether it's obvious to you or not, is about people's egos. When you see a big new product launch or a funding announcement or something like that, it's, I would argue, by and large, many times satisfying a founder's ego. Sometimes it helps you get some new customers, but the 30 under 30 list and and things like that, I mean, you name it, it's all about ego. And so when a a company makes an announcement saying that they got acquired and you don't see the number (laughs) that they're acquired for, it's probably just, a save, like a, a a face save for the founders of the entrepreneurs or a soft landing. And maybe that gets me in trouble with some people that have gone through the process, but that's absolutely what it was for us. A face
1: save, soft landing. Yeah. It makes sense. This was the type of acquisition that didn't make Andy's bank account immediately jump a half dozen zeros, but you know.
0: Yeah, but it was an acquisition. I um, mean, he, he didn't hit the brick wall and, you know, see his company implode. Here's Andy again, and how it actually all went down.
3: The acquisition was essentially, you know, I was just about ready to pack it up and and move to New York for a job offer. And I was sitting with Danielle, uh, Danielle Morrill, who's now the CEO of Mattermark and one of my really good friends. I was sitting with her on uh, on South Park in San Francisco and telling her about my plans that I thought I was going to go move to to New York, et cetera, and she makes me an offer to instead buy the company that we have. And by buy the company, I mean that she wanted, she offered to buy the assets for a price that made me feel like I might be able to pay off a little bit of my credit card debt. Um, (laughs) And the idea of not having to move to New York, being able to work with someone that I respected, having cash in the bank for the company that we were working on and being able to found something new was really appealing. So So I said yes later that day. Uh, and eventually, you know, we we put put it in a press release to, uh, to to TechCrunch, et cetera, and they covered it, that it was an acquisition. And, uh, you know, people were sending me messages saying, hey, are you ready to buy that Tesla? And I was like, I'm legitimately still $20,000 in credit card debt.
1: So I'm guessing he didn't buy that Tesla.
3: <laughs> no, not at least not. Yeah, not that I'm aware of. <laughs> but
0: <laughs> e- even after that acquisition, you know, he still had some credit card debt, um, but did you catch the name of the person who offered to acquire Andy's company? Daniel Morrill? Daniel Morrow,
1: like f- from Mattermark?
0: Yes. In fact, soon after that acquisition, Referly, as everybody knew it, went away. But the company didn't just shut down. Um, Andy, Danielle, and her husband, Kevin, they all stuck together and transformed Referly into a company that you might be familiar with today called Mattermark. Now, Mattermark had its own growth and ultimately its own exit, but... It itself wasn't necessarily the exit that everybody would necessarily write glowing press articles about either. You know, it it was the kind of exit that might be in a little bit of a different category as mine and Andy's, but maybe somewhat similar.
1: Yeah. So Andy's acquisition is like this in-between kind, right? But all in all, it worked out for him personally, right?
0: yeah it did and you know what again now andy is on the path of building a brand new company called holloway and a lot of people including me are really excited about that company and how they're sort of transforming the way that people learn and transform the way that people read nice so who else did you talk to well i also talked to Cortland alves um, who's the former ceo at both hitpost and devbridge He's experienced a couple of these in-between acquisitions too. And similar to the LaunchGram acquisition, the real value of the acquisition wasn't necessarily the technology itself, but it was the people.
1: Ah, you're talking about what the startup world refers to as an acquihire.
0: Yes. And Cortland talks about the first time one of his companies hit post was targeted as an acquihire. In fact, it wasn't too long after he joined the company in the first place.
2: So I was actually brought on as CEO. Knowing that we only had six months of months of runway left. Uh, And it was like, let's let's see if this this guy can turn this around. And the very first day I started, which is April 1st, ironically, I got an email saying Yahoo might be interested.
1: Yahoo might be interested in acquiring your company. That's email that will catch your attention pretty quick, especially at that time. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And yeah, and Cortland
0: actually remembers working hard to try to get that deal done, but the process that he and his team went through it definitely wasn't all roses. Um, no, here's Cortland with one of the most painful parts of that process with Yahoo.
2: So I think the moment where like the two sides of thinking, like, are we trying to get acquired or are we trying to build a product that people like, that like the, like ripping point was the, like one of the roughest where a lot of us were like flipping tables and just saying like, hell with this, like, this isn't, this isn't what we're here for. Like, I don't want to be a part of this. So we had two apps. We had like a native iOS and native Android and our lead engineer was phenomenal. And he wanted to build a like a single code base that could work for both phones. And he was building in, I can't remember what the gaming framework was, but he built it in uh, like a framework so that we could iterate way faster as well. Um, so that that's what I was excited about. Like, we don't have much time. Let's just get some kind of MVP. We have nothing to lose. Let's get something out there and let's just iterate as fast as possible on like the core mechanics of, of this product. And Uh, It was very different than our original product, which was highly, highly polished, uh, beautiful work of art app. And so then we had this this internal tension of uh, if we launch this this MVP version, that it's it's something that is probably the best way we can get to a product that customers love, but it might look bad to Yahoo. Uh, Maybe they'll see this product that has less polish and think, oh, this isn't. This isn't what we were looking for. We want that Yahoo look. We want that high polish, uh, everything, everything clean and smooth and sexy in the interface. And so we had this tension of which one are we going to do? And the whole team worked through a whole inter- the whole weekend to try to get this this cross-platform uh, rougher version out. And at the last second, we decided we're not, we're not doing it. Uh, we we want to make sure we don't mess up Yahoo. And I think at that point, it was really, really, really tough. There were people that that kind of walked out midday. And saying, like, I'm over I'm over, I'm done with this. Uh and so I think that was the toughest moment.
0: In the end, Yahoo did acquire HitPost. And yes, there was a TechCrunch article, but Cortland isn't so sure that most people can really comprehend what it's like to, to go through an acquisition, especially of the Aqua Hire variety, unless they go
1: through it themselves. Having gone through a couple acquisitions myself, including one that may have been more of an Aquahire, I you know, I get what Cortland's saying yeah me too and the
0: conversation got me thinking you know here i was somebody who had my startup e-funeral acquired but i have always talked about it publicly even in this series as a failure mm. Um, yet there are TechCrunch articles about andy and cortland's acquisitions makes you think should we actually be talking about these acquisitions as failures then Well, I asked this question to somebody that I consider to be a friend and a mentor, Morris Wheeler, Uh, Morris is an entrepreneur turned investor as founder of Drummond Road Capital, a firm that's been ranked at one point as one of the top 50 most active seed stage investors in the United States. And
4: Morris's answer surprised me. I don't think it's anybody's business trying to size up somebody else's wallet or bank account. In my mind, if you had simply told people. The company was acquired. That was the only disclosure that you needed to make. I mean, if someone asked you, did you make a million dollars? I would expect you to tell them the truth, but I don't think anybody's got a disclosure obligation to say it was an acquisition, but I didn't make any money or was an acquisition, but my investors lost any money. That's none of their business Any more than it's their business of what your valuation was when you raise around that's private information
1: yeah i mean I, I guess morris is right i mean who are we all to wonder what a certain exit whether that's a big win or a massive disappointment or somewhere in the middle yeah i mean really any acquisition is
0: technically
4: a win you need to understand that acquisitions always happen for a reason and somebody seems sees them as a win typically two parties see them as a relative win or an acquisition isn't gonna happen.
0: I wish i talked to Morris about this right after E-Funeral's exit, because at the time, It sure didn't feel like a win at all. Um, But then again, I mean, I I was proud that in a way we could even get something back for
1: some investors at the
0: time. And I wanted to do those investors right, just as I'm sure that Cortland and Andy did.
1: And of course, as active of an investor as Morris is, he's invested in his share of wins, losses, and probably a bunch of these in-between exits.
0: Yeah. I asked Morris actually if he'd ever reinvest in a founder who had one of the in-between exits or even worse one who's actually folded their company altogether. Absolutely.
4: Whether or not you invest in a entrepreneur again is a function of a, do you believe in them, and b, do you trust them? The best way to see the metal that a particular entrepreneur has is to go through a less than remunerative exit with them and see how they act, see how they treat their investors, see how they treat their employees, see how their credibility holds up, and see how they deal with the stress and competing concerns. So I absolutely, not only would I invest again with an entrepreneur who had had a exit that didn't produce the the financial results that I had hoped for, but I've, I've reinvested in entrepreneurs where the company has just plain gone away. And it's not dependent upon the result. It's dependent upon the character of the entrepreneur and what you learn about that entrepreneur's character while going through that period of stress.
1: Well, I mean, look, a comment like that from an investor as prolific as Morris Gives me a little hope yeah i in fact all of the conversations
0: i had here with andy with Cortland, it's given me a lot of hope i mean we were all founders that have experienced exits but well none of us at least not that i'm aware of are driving teslas and none of us have any buildings at a university with our names on them at least again not yet
1: So what happened for all of you after the exit?
0: Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing is we've all had amazing opportunities come our way after our in-between exits. So, you know, none of us have hit the home run with eFuneral, Launchgram, DevBridge, or HitPost, but Andy went on to become co-founder of Mattermark and now, you know, again, is doing some awesome things with Holloway. Uh, Cortland is now an executive for one of the most highly rated online coding boot camps that exists. And he's so respected that TechCrunch has not only written articles about him, but they let him contribute with some of his own writing and you well I, as you already know you know I went on to co-found product collective which is one of the largest communities for product people and we organize industry and that's become one of the fastest growing product management summits in the world and there's no doubt that I wouldn't have felt so prepared to run product collective if it wasn't for all the experiences that I had at eFuneral too oh and something else happened
1: after eFuneral too what's that i met you and the rest of the rocket ship team that's right we had you on as a guest and then i don't know. we had so much fun we brought you on to actually co-host the show so if it wasn't for my experiences at e-funeral
0: i guess well you and i might have never met michael and Mm. this episode might never have existed
1: wow well you know looking at it that way i have to say i'm thankful for a little failure now and then well me too michael Thank you so much for listening to Rocketship.fm. It's your support that keeps the show going. Rocketship.fm is now part of the Podglomerate Network. If you want to learn more about the other shows on the Podglomerate Network, go to thepodglomerate.com. Rocketship.fm is produced in partnership with Product Collective,
0: a community for product people. If you go to productcollective.com, you could check out live video interviews, sign up for our newsletter, be a part of our Slack group with over 6,000 product people. Just check it out at productcollective.com.